Hello, gentle listener. It's Ethan. And Michael! With a special message here at the top of the episode. We just have launched a thing that I am sort of very nervous about, but uh, as Michael and others have told me, like, what's the worst that can happen? It's what already happened. We have launched a Patreon page. Uh, Woohoo! So if you are enough of a fan of this show to uh, donate money to us every month, which, like I said, I uh, just sort of have this sort of, like, Midwestern, Scandinavian descent niceness, like, fear of even saying these <laughs> yeah, words. Yeah, be ashamed of your heritage, Ethan. Well, stop! My hair- well, it's also that, because Viking humans, but, like, it's just, yeah. it's just <laughs> my genetics. Uh, anyway. anyway. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, we, we have launched a Patreon page, and please donate? Give us money, please? Yeah! Please, sir, may I have some money? Patreon.com slash Room with Scotch. Thank you. Eventually we'll uh, figure out a pitch that that sounds like we know what we're doing at all. But um, (laughs) just to uh, start promoting that illusion, one of the several tiers of rewards that we've come up with for patrons... Our beloved patrons. ...is the Secret Archives. Yes. The Secret Archives, uh, at $1 or more per, per month, the bare minimum sort of pledge to our show, you get access to the Secret Archives, mm-hmm. which contain tons of bonus audio from Michael and Ethan and others. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to work on rapidly expanding the Secret Archives so that, you know, if you if you donate from month to month, uh, there should be more as the month go, months go on, but mm-hmm. currently there's at least a couple things from from me. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully some things from Michael. Yes. Wibbly, wobbly, timey-wimey things. Yep. Um, <laughs> and bonus content from other Tapestry Radio shows. Exactly. You get access to even so. It's, so yeah. it's exciting. We're excited. I'm also very scared, but if you like the show, uh... This is just we'll take the your way money. you can express your appreciation. Yeah. Yes, I did exactly. just say express. And I haven't express. even had the scotch yet. And we no. haven't thanked classes yet, so I didn't lose. So there are Fine. Uh, it's okay. In the Patreon game, we're all winners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> even though it's probably false. Anyway, Michael and Ethan in a room with scotch. Give us money. Patreon.com slash Michael and Ethan in a room with scotch. No, that's not right. Patreon.com slash room with scotch. <laughs> Homestarrunner.net. It's.com. <laughs> Perfect. Quixote, and this is my guest, Sancho Michael Lillian Paul Panza. That's not my name. 
So that's just just for those of you keeping score at home. That's first word of our real name, full fake name, sandwich in the middle, last last word of our yeah. real name. And don't. Uh, I think you're trying to create a fictional narrative to drape over this podcast huh. and uh, lead us into your own fantasy from your own heat-stricken brain. What does that remind... Oh, nice use of heat-stricken brain. And what does Thank that you. remind you of? It reminds me of... Uh, Vladimir Nabokov. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, here, gentle listener, you heard it here at the beginning of this four-episode journey through <laughs> Don Quixote, the first named author, and who should be surprised was Vladimir Nabokov. <laughs> of course. Oh, good. Well. Well, well, well. Well, well, well. So, yeah, we are, yeah, of course... Four, four-episode journey. This yeah. is a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> are you already second-guessing this entire, like, no. next two months of content? I would, that I would never second-guess anything on? that we do on this podcast. Yeah, this is definitely not Michael and Ethan sit in a room and second-guess themselves for an hour every uh, two weeks or no, whatever. No, see, we can't second-guess ourselves. If we second-guess ourselves, then the whole fiction comes crumbling down, and we have to admit reality. Because, like, what we needed in a podcast about the novel Don Quixote was more layers of meta-references, <laughs> meta-self-references. It felt appropriate. It, I mean, it feels appropriate. It just doesn't feel necessary. And that's really all you need to know about Don Quixote. All right, Whoa! podcast done. And <laughs> <laughs> we thought it would take four episodes. <laughs> we thought we would be able to talk about this for four hours. But no, all I had to say was it feels appropriate, but not necessary. All right. <laughs> so it, it, wait, is that the Jeff Goldblum analysis? You spent so much time <laughs> thinking about whether you could do it, you didn't stop to think whether you should. Yeah, yeah. In that uh, great adaptation of Don Quixote, <laughs> Steven Spielberg released in the '90s called Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Trick. Trick, uh, mm. trick that Steven Spielberg played. It wasn't actually see, the Michael Crichton novel at all. See, I like, I like that adaptation of Don Quixote. But what I like better, the the adaptation I like Don Quixote better is the TV series Seinfeld. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and also the TV series How I Met Your Mother. Right, right. Even though that series is, of course, an adaptation of Love in the Time of Cholera. <laughs> right. But, um. But also Don Quixote. Yeah, but also Seinfeld. Seinfeld is actually a better one because Seinfeld is a series about nothing happening. <laughs> right. Right. So, <laughs> so now that we've analyzed the novel again, <laughs> we should keep a tally of how yeah, many no, times we, we, we analyzed the, this novel. Can you, when you edit this, can you put in like a little ding sound? I will. We're at I will. two full analyses at this point. Yep. And that's only the beginning, gentle listener, because in a in an episode where we start analyzing the longest book we've read yet, <laughs> Michael and I have managed to fill this room with other books that we are also going to use to help analyze <laughs> yep. this book. So we are, of course, reading Don Quixote by Miguel de Cervantes, and that pronunciation of his name is a complete like foreshadowing and warning of how we are going to pronounce all of the Spanish names in this entire <laughs> set of podcasts. I don't think we are even going to attempt good pronunciation, because if we did, we would sound even more ridiculous than we will sound just saying these Spanish words and names with our Midwestern accents. Je ne parle pas. 
A to math O C <laughs> to P S to math. Oh shoot, you're gonna have to bleep me for our, <laughs> for our, for our French, French listeners. listeners. <laughs> uh, so wait, does that mean I only have to click the explicit tag in French? In French, yeah, yeah just yeah. the French explicit tag. Like when you go into iTunes, yeah, and they have all of the explicit tags you can click for every language in the world. Right. You just click the French. Just one. the French explicit tag. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and maybe okay. maybe like. I don't know. Is Jamaican Creole based on French? Any, any yeah, couple to of those an extent. Other ones. Yeah. yeah. So, so wait, is is French Canadian a separate checkbox? Because that one probably too. I mean, you're the one who puts these up on iTunes. Yeah, that's so true. You, you'd know. Uh, I'll find out. You've you've described. I'm gonna this. I'm gonna write iTunes a letter. <laughs> <laughs> Ask them. Is that the equivalent of me implying that this podcast was released on cassette? You never implied that. You have outright stated it. <laughs> <laughs> The question still stands. <laughs> Not saying you're wrong. All right. Well, you should also probably keep a digression tally, though that also feels relevant because, like, yeah. we haven't even we have we have a one-page script that's supposed to take us through the first five minutes of the episode yep. or so, and we haven't even gotten like through ten percent of that script. Nope. <laughs> so, here we go. Um. And I'm only moving along this quickly because, obviously, Michael and I want to get to the scotch. Yes, yes, the most important thing. I haven't had a drop of scotch since our last uh, in-person recording. Oh, I was going to say I haven't either, but that's a lie. But I have had this particular scotch oh. sitting in my cabinet since the first time we were supposed to do this recording. Right, this and has been postponed and postponed and postponed. Yes, <laughs> which life happens and that's all right, yep. but... The only the only real trial here has been opening that cabinet every time and having a staring <laughs> contest. Mm-hmm. Also, I lied about not having any scotch since so I definitely oh. had. Well, I, I also cheated on you, no. so. No. All right. Now here at we least are. we can admit it. Yeah, and and because we both did the wrong thing, mm-hmm. neither of us did the wrong thing. It cancels out. Right. Two like, wrongs make a right. Yeah. Well, as or, they say. no, no, no. But they they say <laughs> two wrongs don't make a right. But if you both do a wrong thing, it's like zero. Like, you haven't done a right so thing, but you right. haven't it's done a, a zero. wrong thing. Two yeah. wrongs don't make a right, but two wrongs make a zero? They cancel each other out. Got it. So, like, right. it's a new... Two wrongs make a neutral. Oh, okay. As, De- right. as Descartes says. As Descartes, okay. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, Michael already got prematurely excited, even though I haven't said the words out loud. But <laughs> we are here staring at a bottle of the Balvini uh, Caribbean Cask 14-year-old... Scotch, specially selected Balvini, finished in casks that previously held rum, distilled in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. So, as I understand, they you know did their standard um, Scotch maturation mm-hmm. process in in Balvini casks, and then uh, pulled some rum casks in, further matured them in that. Which I guess is just me repeating the same thing that I just read, but whatever. <laughs> I'm just very excited about this. This is um, probably the uh the first scotch that i ever tasted that i was like oh this is why fine scotch is a thing like mm-hmm. this is a real thing and not just sort of a self-fulfilling illusion right and it was probably the third or fourth like single malt scotch that i ever tasted mm. and i really loved it at the time this is several years ago i did buy a bottle of it um, and I haven't had it since, and I've had a lot more scotch since then, mm-hmm. a lot more different, you know, scotches. So I'm very excited uh, to try this and to see how it matches up yeah. with some more experience. Right. 
So, it's sort of a beautiful bottle with a, a lot of sort of... Um, roundness? Roundness to it. It's and got curves. It's a curvaceous yeah, bottle. S- I was literally, before you even said the word curves, <laughs> I was going to say, before we get any more salacious <laughs> in this description, I'm just going to pour us some scotch so that, you know, we will get vastly do. more appropriate. So... That was not Michael tasting the scotch, be just, it known, gentle listener. Just preparing it. That was myself. just his reaction to seeing it poured. Right. Now, before we uh, before we do drink the scotch, mm-hmm. uh, we are going to need some rules. It's yes. very important that a podcast have rules. Uh, very strict and um, because if it doesn't have rules, well-followed rules, then the whole veneer crumbles. Falls apart. It crumbles, and we're just... Two guys in a room getting drunk. <laughs> right. <And> that's what <laughs> but we... But if there are rules, then it's allowed by polite society. <laughs> if there are rules, then it's okay. Right. Then it's, then it's a thing. With yes. a capital T. So, uh, wife, Karen, please come in here and read the rules. Karen, what are the rules? Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule 3. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule 4. Michael must never say the words, vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule 5. If anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, Drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle Gentle listener. listener. Thank you, Karen. Now, please... Well read. Please, uh... Please leave. (laughs) I I, I got halfway through and decided not to be a jerk. But I was already halfway into being a jerk. That's a huge step. I know. It is, but it completely fell apart on me, so I think I'm never going to try it again. Oh, okay. So, now that Karen has read the rules, we've poured the scotch. Mm -hmm. Of course, once we clink glasses, the rules go into effect, and we can no longer talk about how good or not good, but also how good this Belvini... I'm just going to splash it in your face. (laughs) I've been expecting that this entire time. (laughs) I wouldn't waste good scotch. Yeah, that's true. But if it's bad scotch. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Ready? I guess. Here's mud in your eye. podcast that we are right at the beginning of. Um, we're going to talk about Don Quixote. Now, uh, the gentle listener may know that uh, Don Quixote, as we usually sort of think of it and see it published these days, is actually two books, which is why this reading, this book, 
was the longest freaking thing. <laughs> because we were technically reading two books, and both of those books were written in the time when, like, they didn't have iPads or, like, cassette tapes or, you know, most other books. Like, most books came after this book. So even the one volume of this book is really freaking long, yeah. and there are two volumes of this book. So, um... Usually these days you do see it all bound in one volume, but you have part one, which was published in 1605 in the original Spanish, and then part two, which was published in 1615. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know us, gentle listener, and you know that we are nothing if not completely chronological and straightforward about the way that we read our books. Mm -hmm. um, however, we're going to try to sort of do... Uh, these first two episodes on Don Quixote about part one, so book one of sort of a two-book series. Right. And then the back two episodes will be part two. So, so one might say that this episode is Don Quixote part one, part one. Yes. <laughs> uh, because, you know, gentle listener, like, we like to be clear, but every once in a while we like to throw in something that's very confusing and unnecessarily wordy just right. to... But the thing Change is, when up. we make things extra muddy and confusing, it causes you to cling to the things that are extra clear that we have said, and therefore it causes you to rely even more firmly on the narrative as we have created it. You just really determined to talk about Navicon episode, <laughs> huh? <laughs> that, is, that is the extra book I brought. <laughs> that, that is true. In order that to talk true. about Don Quixote. Yeah, what, what uh, extra book did you bring? Uh, Vladimir Nabokov's Lectures on Don Quixote. This is your book, but you loaned it to me. Yeah, yeah. Well. Uh, and, yeah. How how did you just... Uh, we maybe should push off on reading some of our critics until we've actually talked about right, the original right. book at all, but just a, a couple... Just a... One sentence, two sentences. How, how did you find his lectures? I thoroughly enjoyed them. I like Vladimir Nabokov's tone in general anyway yeah. and so how he analyzed the book with his very sarcastic and biting sort of humor yeah. and wit uh, was quite delightful. It was very clear he didn't really like Don Quixote but also appreciated some of what Don Quixote did. And he understands why it was sort right. of so important to the history of right. the novel and um, why it was so influential and so mm -hmm. forth, yeah. Um, I think I do think my favorite line from his lectures, and it, it's been a while since I read that book, but it was something about what's he is he lecturing at Harvard? Yes. Um, mm -hmm. and he says something about you'll miss this if you skim, but a Harvard undergraduate never, never skims. skims. Yep. <laughs> uh, um, uh, he's which, a funny man. Yeah, I was gonna say just just to like be in his classroom. Yeah. Just uh, would be excellent. Quite. Um, okay, so, and then I have two books by Milan Kundera, The Art of the Novel and The Curtain, which, to sort of summarize briefly and badly, is The Art of the Novel, but with the ideas more developed and um, coherently laid out, uh, both of which talk about the broad range of novels, but he, you know, he's, he's very into Cervantes. Like, it would be interesting to see a dialogue between Nabokov and uh, Kundera about Cervantes, mm -hmm. because... Um, you know, Kundera doesn't think he Cervantes is perfect, but he does think he's sort of the man, as as the kids the as the kids say. <laughs> um, and then I also have a book that I just happened to read recently called Thomas or 
It's by Thomas Pavel, and it's called The Lives of the Novel, which is another history of the novel um, as a genre, as a form, um, which Don Quixote is very pertinent to. Right. Um, so that's your that's your preview of coming attractions. Mm-hmm. If it if it was not exciting enough that we are reading this five hundred year old novel, we are also reading some literary criticism about this five hundred year old novel. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we have nothing better to do. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, because you know it's not like both of us work full time in fields that are not technically literature based. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, at least not in this sense of literature uh mm-hmm. gentle listener if you heard the sounds of snipping that was michael cutting out a about a 50 minute digression into the bible as literature <laughs> um, uh, michael pulled a uh uh the woman from the ocean at the end of the lane letty hempstock and just mm-hmm. sort of snipped that out of reality because yep. no one needed that not even us <laughs> obviously yeah uh, so should we actually talk about part yeah, one? Of, yeah, no, I was going to, uh, I really yeah. sort of wanted to ask you what's your uh, first, just when someone asks you, what do you think about Don Quixote? And it's not like at a cocktail party, which we definitely both go to and do exist yep. a lot now, but you know, where you have to give like a pithy one sentence, like someone, someone really sat down and asked you, what's your, what's your first initial thought of what did you think of Don Quixote? What did I think of Don Quixote? Like what jumps um, out at you? What jumps out? Well, it, don't it's... think. Just close your eyes and jump. Ah! And also, oh, there he goes. <laughs> I was gonna say, and also, don't let me interrupt you, like I've done like seven times now. Yeah. Well, I come to expect it. Anyway, um, <laughs> it my my reaction is tied to my cocktail party reaction. Um, what I told people as they saw me reading this book and asked me what I was thinking of it, or asked me more about it. I would say my my pithy one sentence response is it's hilarious, <laughs> um, which that's fair is exactly what it is. It's it's absolutely hilarious. And um, my analysis earlier of Seinfeld was only partially tongue in cheek because it does play very much like a sitcom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where it, n- number one, it's it's episodic in a lot of what happens. You know, you've got right. Don Quixote. Fighting the windmills. You've got Don Quixote at the inn. You've got yeah. Don Quixote as we get into volume two with the Duke and Duchess. You know all these different episodes of 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 things that happen. So in that sense, it's very sitcomish. But also you've got this cast of characters that recurs throughout and, and comes right. up, and and the visiting characters, the guest stars, all that. But the thing is, with each of these characters, just like in a sitcom, you like each of these characters at different times, but in general, you just find all of them to be a big bunch of jerks. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which, you know, I was just listening, and here's a sentence I'm going to hate myself for saying, but I was listening to a Shakespeare lecture <laughs> where the lecturer was talking about an essay I read in literary criticism in college by Henri Bergson mm. about um, laughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember this essay? Because we either read it in dramatic theory or in literary theory. Probably dramatic theory. It sounds I like dramatic it. theory. Did you take you took you took both of those? No, I did not take dramatic theory. Oh, you didn't. Okay. And I always regretted not taking it. Okay. Then it probably was because I think we read Bergson in both classes. Okay. But if you don't remember it, we did take lit theory together. So right. probably dramatic theory. Plus, he was more of a dramatic critic. Anyway, Bergson's whole like thing is that laughter um 
is inhuman and, and, and <laughs> immoral. Like the extent to which you find something funny is often like inversely proportional to how like right or proper or morally good it is. Got it. You know, the, the easy, like simple sort of example would be like laughing at a video of a fat guy falling yeah. downstairs, right? Like everything about what you're doing in that laughter is sort of immoral. I, I, I was listening to another podcast, um, totally unrelated that, talked about laughter and like the three theories of humor was more what it's getting at but basically the things that cause you to laugh and i'm uh, let's see if i remember all of them but that's hitting on especially one of them one is uh just you know the unexpected and it being yeah. kind of a self-defense mechanism yeah, to yeah. the unexpected uh especially once you realize it's not dangerous anymore right um then uh so you know like you you get a jump scare sort of thing but it's a jump scare and it's just a silly clown you know clowns right. have a, a well clowns are are um demons from hell but right you but get, you know get you get the, you get the you get the idea yeah. like it pops out of a jack jack in the box and it's like oh it's scary. oh it's something just silly and cute yeah, yeah, yeah. Ha, 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 ha. uh laugh at it um another is um kind of what you're talking about there where it's almost um a superiority sort of thing mm -hmm. you laugh at what is less than you you laugh because it's stupid and right. you feel superior to it and right. so you are the polite society in your own eyes and what you're laughing at is the dregs of society <laughs> <laughs> sure that's interesting and i'm not remembering what the third one was but yeah yeah uh yeah yeah well it's it's interesting too that that you phrase this as a sitcom because you know one of the uh like if you're talking about seinfeld or like how i met your mother or right. whatever um, or Everybody Loves Raymond, like, a lot of times, if you have two people who've watched a lot of any given show like that, it's like, oh, remember the episode mm -hmm. where Jerry dates whoever, or, like, remember the episode where Ray and Robert, like, switch roles? It's <laughs> like, you know, you have this recurring cast of characters, but they're within these sort of, like, almost self-contained bubbles, mm -hmm. where, um, and you can, you, you know, when you think back on Don Quixote, that's like, one easy way that that almost presents itself to process what goes on in the story right like mm -hmm. oh like you said the episode where he he uh fights the giants that he thinks yep. are giants but they're windmills or the the episode where like sancho panza gets thrown around on a bouncy thing at the end yep. and <laughs> gets really mad um <laughs> The episode where Sancho Panza uses a bunch of cliches and Don Quixote gets really mad, and then you're like, "Wait, that's every episode." But, um, you know, it's yeah. it, it is it is very similar. Um, and I I'm remembering it was either Kundera or Pavel, uh, one of the critics I just mentioned having in the room with us. Um, yeah, hi guys. Sorry, we're not letting you talk, even though you're way smarter than we are. But just yeah, shut up. Shut up and drink your gin. Um, no, no, <laughs> shut up. Um, uh, anyway, one of one of them was saying that that uh, a lot of these early novels operate sort of in that way. Um, the example given also being Tom Jones, where like Tom Jones is this massive novel that you know the the main character roves all over England, sort of like Don Quixote roves all over Spain. But in each case, there's only like twelve people that they interact with. Mm -hmm. Like they just keep you know meeting them and re-meeting them yep uh, again just like in a sitcom exactly you know like sitcoms you know in how i met your mother the plot ranges you know over the course of nine seasons 
it ranges sort of all over New York City and all over various other yeah, places. Yeah, it goes but... into the Midwest. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. They go yeah. to, you know, some of Marshall's uh, mm-hmm. parents in Minnesota. Oh, well, and... all the way to California, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, so. But, like, the only real people who, you know, you would immediately think of when you think of the show, there's only, like, ten of them, yeah, maybe. Yeah, really. Um, you know, yeah. So it's 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 very similar in that way. And I, I don't know, what does that, what does that tell you about dramatic structure or novelistic structure or anything like that um i don't know i guess uh what what's coming to mind is as regards that is uh kind of part of nabokov's analysis of this that um it's not a real spain that he's uh-huh. he's he's traveling through which you know should be obvious that it's a fictional book and so spain is fictional but right. uh nabokov does kind of hit something on the head there with the idea of um if if you're expecting this to take place in a realistic sort of sphere, then you're going to be reading a boring book. Right. Uh, but if you understand that this is crafted, that this is designed by an author, uh, then you've got something that's a little tighter. You, you've got the recognizable characters that are going to recur and going to come back, and that will help kind of create the overarching narrative. Right. Just, you know, tightening in the edges, I guess, is sure, sure. sort of the idea behind that. So it's it's almost like in order to tell a certain type of potentially comedic story, especially maybe, mm-hmm. um, you do sort of have sort of a tightening in of the yeah. edges of, of a real setting. Because, like, you know, How I Met Your Mother, of course, like, uh, is New York City almost becomes a character, mm-hmm. but even though it's looks real and i'm sure parts of it if not Mm -hmm. most of it were shot in new york city like it's not the real new york city right and like even even with that too and this isn't going to be become the how i met your mother podcast but uh something (laughs) that that stands out to me with that is whenever the characters would encounter someone from jersey or from outside tourists essentially who came to new york they would get really defensive about new york city right and what it was and that would always be just a little bit of a surprise to me uh-huh. every time that happened because New York City was the bar, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> right. And then they're talking about this city that that exists. And so, like, it, it gets the, uh, this broader expanse, but even there it becomes toned down and, and the, the, the city that you see is limited to certain spots and scenes and characters within right. the city. It's almost, now that you say that, reminding me of the inn that yeah. um, everybody ends up at towards the second half of volume one of this Mm -hmm. book um i think i kept count at one point um yeah okay so uh i'm not even gonna do page numbers because we have we have different completely different different translations translations um, and different like publishers i I don't think yours is no uh mine is simon and schuster rift classic so part one chapter 42 i i was uh Perhaps getting a little bit, uh, how do I say, um, manic at, at this particular point in the book <laughs> as my margin oh, nice. notes uh, that, that travel all the way down the page and uh, contain several made-up words and arrows in sort of a graph <laughs> form, as well as underlining on the page itself. Yeah, but anyway, part one, chapter 42, you have, um, so it's sort of a previous scene finishing up 
at the very beginning of this chapter. It goes about a, a page down in my book. Um, mm. And in my translation, which is a very modern one, as opposed to Michael's Tobias Smollett translation from 1755, mine says, uh, By this time a man had alighted from the coach, and his clothes proclaimed the position he occupied. His long robe with loose slashed upper sleeves showed him to be a judge, in his, as his servant had said. He led by the hand a girl who seemed about 16 years old. And at that point, I underlined just that sentence clause, and I just wrote in the margin, Is she super hot? Three question marks. <laughs> wow, you got saucy. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, I, w- I, w- I will interrupt you by saying it took me exactly 0.2 seconds to find right where you were reading <laughs> in my translation. That's awesome. So, yeah. Um, uh, so, continuing that sentence girl 16 years old dressed in traveling clothes and so marvelous marvelously beautiful and graceful that everyone was dazzled by the sight of her um so like yes in other words my my margin prediction was correct question was answered in the affirmative and and this is what i love just in this sentence Mm -hmm. and i underline the rest of the sentence if they hadn't seen dorothea lucinda and zoraida at the end um, the three other super hot women in the other like episodes of this novel, yep. um, they'd have believed it next to impossible to find another comparable beauty. Um, and of course, it's, that's absolutely hilarious, right? Because it's because it really is like you know as oh my goodness, what we didn't give them a chance to read this novel. No, we didn't. All right, well, well go read it. Go now. <laughs> Okay, wasn't that super long? (laughs) Do you you remember where we left off? (laughs) All right, (laughs) here uh, part uh, part one, chapter forty-two. About a page in. About a yeah, about a page in. Um, So what I was starting to say is, as you now know, because you have read the rest of at least part one, which is there are lots of hot chicks in this book. Yeah, there are, and like that. So this this listing, if they hadn't seen Dorothea, Lucinda, and Zoraida, they'd have believed this fourth girl to be the (laughs) most beautiful woman in the world, right? And all three of these other women up to this point have their own stories, where like in each story they are introduced as like whatever man first sees them or whatever and falls in love with them, they're the most beautiful woman in the world. And that becomes a world. fight. Like, that's, yeah. that's what Don Quixote is all about. He needs you to to admit that uh, Dulcinea is the most yeah. beautiful woman in the world or he's going to fight you. Right. And whether <laughs> Dulcinea even exists as a digression will go on yep. <laughs> later. But um, at this point, again, we have... Uh, and, and again, so, you know, it's just this wonderful, like, building of ridiculousness. Yes. And I think that's part of, like, the skill that Cervantes had in this novel. Mm-hmm. Like, you clearly at this time can get away with a much more sort of episodic mm-hmm. narrative and, you know, in some ways a more repetitive narrative than, like, a modern sensibility would allow you to get away sure. with. Right? However, even Cervantes knows that, like, variety is the spice of life. Mm-hmm. Um and so, like, he not only does he do some of these sort of repetitive, like, crowd pleasing types of narratives, but he does also sort of build, let, let them build on each other, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that, you know, in, in Dorothea's story, she's introduced as this incredibly gorgeous woman. Yep. Um, I want to say, is she the one that Don Quixote is like? Oh man, if I hadn't, you know, if I wasn't sworn to Dulcinea, I would almost have to I admit she's Dorothea. Cause, uh, was she the one who wanted him to go after the giant? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, 
and then Lucinda, you know, in her in her little subplot, also gets introduced as like the most beautiful woman until Dorothea comes along, and then they have to have like yep. a beautiful off or whatever, um, <laughs> whatever that looks like. <laughs> I kept expecting it to happen, even though I have no idea what it would look like. <laughs> right, um, I'm picturing a lot of like intense staring a la Zoolander. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sort of a smolder off almost. Um, Uh, And then Zoraida, of course, I think is the the most recent story at this point in the book and the the sort of... Is she a Moor? Yeah, she's the the Moor, but but who wants to be a Spaniard and some not at all racially troubling undertones there. Oh, um, uh, that's funny. But anyway, you, but also she is like this this beautiful mysterious creature who, um, you know the the man in her subplot like sees her and like is instantly better oh, here, because she's I so found, beautiful. Oh, uh, and it's it's also a funny one. Yeah. Um, if I can just yeah, because it's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, so whether with the assistance of all these ornaments she appeared beautiful or not. And described all these different things she's wearing. Trinkets and, how, and... Trinket, yeah, how beautiful she is. And what she must have been in her prosperity may be conjectured by what remains after the great fatigues she hath undergone. For it is well known that the beauty of some women hath its days and seasons, and is diminished or increased according to the circumstances that happen, being improved or impaired, nay, often totally destroyed by the passions of the mind. In short, she approached, in all the pomp of dress... And all the excess of beauty, at least to me, she seemed the most beautiful creature I had ever seen, which circumstance joined to the obligations I lay under made me look upon her as an angel sent from heaven for my delight and deliverance. And this is um, this is the, the, the her guide, I think, who's, yeah, yeah. who's talking about narrating this and narrating that. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, again, again which like would just strike you all on its own as like a sort of melodramatic florid description i don't know do you think yeah do you get the impression that smollett is maybe a little more florid overall in his translation than uh, well i don't have anything to compare him to well just but, from oh i guess from my from that, sentences just now I, honestly it was pretty close okay, okay um just like word for word where where you started by this time a person had alighted from the coach who by his garb immediately showed the nature of his rank and office for his long robe with high sleeves tucked up plainly distinguished him to be a judge as the servant had affirmed, he led by the hand a young lady seemingly sixteen years of age, dressed in a riding suit and so sprightly, beautiful, and genteel as to raise the adoration of all who beheld her. Okay, yeah, so no, that's it's really, really close. Pretty close. Yeah, maybe like a few extra words, but right. nothing the no. 18th century can't just take credit for. <laughs> exactly. No, that's that's interesting. Yep. Especially because you know this is um, the translation I have is by John Rutherford, and it was done in like the early years of the 21st century. Hmm. Um, and Smollett's translation was super influential because it was like a major translation into English by a guy who was himself a major English language novelist. Right. It's often considered not as accurate as some other translations. Like I've read that a few places, hmm. but um, I wouldn't know. Yeah, I mean, well, and then you, you wouldn't have known just from those two passages we ended up comparing just now. Um, so that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Uh, Maybe old Tobias did a better job than we give him credit for. Right. Maybe we'll have to sit. You know, this is what we'll do tonight. We'll sit side by side and we'll just read passage after passage next to one another. You know, are while, we are we curled up in? And... Yeah, I was gonna say, are we curled <laughs> up in bed yep. in this scenario? And I'm in the in the guest bed with you and letting my wife have 
the the other bed all to herself. <laughs> Probably, that's, yeah. That's how that's gonna go. <laughs> um, really, it's it's too bad your wife isn't along on this trip. I know. Sh- I know. We could just have a have a swap. Yeah. Um, that'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. And to complete the picture that you did just start creating, like you and I are in bathrobes, doing mm-hmm. our nails, reading Don Quixote to each other, mm-hmm. and meanwhile, Karen and Sarah are off like playing Madden on the Xbox <laughs> while drinking like Bud Light or something. Um oh. we might have to make this legitimately happen. Oh, I like this picture a lot. Um but no, what Anyway, uh, yeah. Sorry. So what I've been building to now and yep. I uh I didn't think this would be this much of a digression, but I don't know why I was arrogant enough to not Why did you not think, think that, that anything no. you said here would become a digression? I mean, because it does anyway, and also we're doing this book, which takes an almost like perverse delight in digression. Um, so anyway, but so at this point, so like that that description of Zoraida you just read, mm-hmm. right? If that was your first description of a hot woman in this book, you'd just be like, yeah, it's kind of florid and melodramatic, but like mm-hmm. it'll, you know, provide motivation for the character. No, it's the third such description. Mm-hmm. Followed by this fourth one that I just read. So, like, at a certain point, you just see Cervantes just being like, yeah, and she was hot, too. <laughs> um, and it's, well, and those it's two just, come so close on one another's heels. Yeah, yeah. It's, that at a certain point, you you have to know that this is not Cervantes just sort of crowd-pleasing or, or mm-hmm. you know, pandering. This is him, like, actively making fun of the reader. Yes, and, yeah, and that, that's exactly my point. Like, uh, he is pandering. In order to make fun of the reader, yeah, yeah, because what he's mocking here is all the romantic literature right. of of the time, the the not um the 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 stories of knights and damsels, which Don Quixote yeah. is emulating, right. which is why he has to have Dulcinea because right. it's it's required by all the literature. There has to be right. a hot girl behind it. If there's not, then it's not a real fake story. Isn't that- um, <laughs> so? And that's that's what he's doing to the reader. He's like, you want hot girls? Here's one. Yeah. Here's another one. And here's another one. And guess what? There's <laughs> right. another one right here. But uh, you know, it's 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 this classic thing that a lot of authors like, um, like Cervantes and even like Nabokov to a certain extent. What they do is they sort of they they have they almost have it both ways. Because now now or um Cervantes. Wow, this is this is gonna <laughs> go well. Um, but. Cervantes has now given you these four hot women, uh-huh. right? He's done that, even yep. though he's making fun now of you. Now you have them. You have but four now hot you women. do have them. So it's like he's doing the thing that will sell the book while making fun of you for enjoying the thing yeah, that you no. bought the book for. And here's here's part of my idea behind this whole book that Nabokov kind of hits on too. Yeah. And I don't mean to keep citing Nabokov here, but I have this same thought happen. that he did because like the whole like as as I said, this book is hilarious. Right. If you tried to read it as a legitimate great tragedy sort of thing which Nabokov accuses people of doing and like cites people yeah. who said that it was this great well the the romantics i guess in the early 1800s yeah. had a tendency to read this as sort of a a tragedy right. and as a very serious novel which um, or even the romantics just as an of... adventure novel it's not an adventure novel there are right. adventures in it but it's it's just it's a slapstick comedy. Right. Um, but the romantics did to literature what C.S. Lewis accuses people of doing to nature, is they just sort of saw whatever they already decided to see yeah. in it. 
Um, you know, and much as they made great contributions, and it is probably their fault that Don Quixote is still as well regarded as it is. Right. They also just sort of messed up some things in a major way. Part of my thought on that is, if the Romantics and, and those like them hadn't done that to Don Quixote, I think a lot of institutions, literary professors, things, would regard Don Quixote the way people regard Tristram Shandy. How's that? That it's stupid. Why? Why would you read it? Okay. Okay. <laughs> that that sort of idea, which there is sure. a little bit of that, but well, that's was... mostly regarding the length of this book. Like, yeah. Why would you read it? It's so long. But instead of like Tristram Shandy, why would you read that? It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. And that's exactly what this is. It's ridiculous. This is ridiculous, and it's intentionally ridiculous. It's making fun of the reader. Right. That's interesting because you know you get you get that said about both these books. Like, why would you read it? It's such mm-hmm. a slog. But you're right, Don Quixote is at least regarded as a book that you're supposed to have read. Right. Whereas Tristram Shandy is almost regarded as like an eccentricity if you've read it. Especially if you've enjoyed it. Mm Because like even people who have like masters and PhDs in literature, they have read Tristram Shandy, but they're like it's it's often this attitude of like, yeah, I slogged through that in grad school. Right. Which if if you're talking about we we've got to do Tristram Shandy sometime. But like if you're talking about that book as slogging through it you're missing the point right right exactly. which is exactly the, and and like this is part of it too um when when you brought don quixote and suggested it i was honestly expecting the sort of like king arthur's court oh, novel sort of sure. thing that's all i knew about it yeah yeah was that it was a knight who decided to be a knight and went off on adventures and right. windmills were somewhere in there right and like that's all i knew about it so that's what i was expecting and then i come and read it and i'm like no guys this is hilarious right <laughs> <laughs> um and it's interesting that's that that hits on a thought that i've had both times that i've read this novel because i read it about five years ago um i read the the smollett translation hmm. and reread it for um this show uh but it it um wow i just completely forgot what i was oh no i didn't so yeah when you have like adaptations of don quixote right like whether it's i'm remembering wishbone even um, (laughs) for just a real blast from the past for everybody um Mm -hmm. you know the did you just start to hum the wishbone theme because i will throw you right out of that window um, I would never. <laughs> uh, I think it's trying to get wishbone. Feed the wishbone. I was gonna say I think it was trying to get stuck in my head, <laughs> but I hadn't heard it recently enough, and now just the Flintstones is there, which yep. is probably slightly better. So throwing you out of the window is being held in abeyance for now. But good. Um. Anyway, I any, will resist defenestration. <laughs> any uh, adaptation you have of this book. It often just goes through the windmills. Like it goes into this whole thing Which of like so early in the book. Yes, that's that's the point I was I was going towards. There is like it you have any adaptation it's like okay there's a guy he's rich he went crazy he started dressing up like a knight. You maybe have some version of like one of the scenes at the inn where he like fights wine bags mm-hmm. and thinks they're they're uh, ogres or something. And then you have the scene at the windmill and like that's it. And that's like this is a thousand page long book at least the one I read, and the windmills mm-hmm. is like page 150. Yeah, no, it's, and like, I was reading this book and sitting at a, at a bar at a brewery, and uh, someone noticed me reading it and, and said something about, 
the like I can't look at windmills the same ever again. I'm like, okay, uh-huh. so you read the first fifty pages of the book. <laughs> <laughs> not to judge you immediately right now, but you yeah, did right. not actually read this book. Well, but that's what I think about when you know, even when I see like adaptations from Wishbone or mm-hmm. any like anywhere that stops at the windmills, I'm like, all right. You read the first one-tenth of this book yep. when you were an undergraduate. You yep. were supposed to read the whole thing, and you read up through the windmills, and you figured you were done. Yep. Now, in fairness to some of those people, um, I did notice that the windmills are when, like, what we'd think of as the novel story kind of stops for about 400 pages. Because you get up to the windmills, and immediately sure. after that episode is when you start meeting uh, Dorothea yeah. and some of the Cardinio people. I guess, I guess. And, like, you have all of these digressions and digressions and digressions where um, Don Quixote mm-hmm. himself is almost a, a marginal character. Right, he's he's the side character, and yeah. it's about these other people. Yeah. Which, yeah, that's fair. Uh, and, and that was something I wanted to kind of point out. I hadn't made the connection there with the people who fake read the book right but um <laughs> but i, I still like, have to think like did they get into some of these digressions and just get bored like sure. what is this i'm out i and i, I can see that yeah yeah but like not that's... to just mass judge a bunch of people right now <laughs> here we, we are i guess are. yeah that's the motto of our show <laughs> mass judging a bunch of people without qualification <laughs> yep <laughs> sounds about right since what 2016 <laughs> <laughs> but no okay so branching off from that point yeah that you know from the windmills um he returns back to his hometown uh after the windmills right uh for a brief a brief stint and then that's where he goes off and encounters a bunch of other people he meets the the, second sally yep the second sally he goes out and um what's the name of the guy who's like um flagellating himself in the woods yeah Um, wait Flagellate? No. Getting flagellated? No, there, well, there's that, but then there's the guy who is like banished himself to the woods oh. and people think he's a ghost or something. And... Yeah. I don't know. It's been like a month since I read this. Anyway, that's essentially All the names where... were in Spanish at the time. Right. So. Like, so it's hard to remember all the names. I, I rem- I'm, I'm proud of myself for remembering a few of them. Anyway. Yeah, right. So like at that point in the second Sally, when he goes back out, then it does become a story about other people or a bunch of stories about other people. Yeah. Which is... Um, you know, kind of a, a funny little season two sort of thing yeah, that a sitcom yeah. would do. You know, yeah. you've got your main character, and you kind of spend the first season establishing that character. Then when you get to season two, then it's like, all right, we were renewed for a season. Let's let's branch out and like everyone get some other characters these, in here. Yeah, everyone liked these little side characters, so like let's do some episodes yep, yep. about them, kind of. But a thing. like what it does for this book is it causes their stories to start to trump Don Quixote's story. Yeah. And it's really where you see people starting to do what will really happen in part two of Don Quixote, where they see who Don Quixote is and they take their stories and put them on top of his yeah, and and manipulate his his fiction uh, the way they want to. And it's something that uh, Don Quixote kind of seems to almost catch on to throughout here. I, I marked a couple spots where people would be telling a story or or giving an account, and he would not let them. He would interrupt uh-huh. them and force his own back in. Right. Um, just, it, Sometimes... it, it was, it, without actually drawing a sword or, or fighting tooth and nail, it was right. a fierce combat about whose narrative was going to be the main narrative. Right, and sometimes when Don Quixote does that, he's not even telling a story. He's, like, giving one of his mm-hmm. lectures on uh, military yep. campaigning or... Yep. <laughs> uh, 
censorship or uh, you know any of a number of other things that mm-hmm. definitely were just lectures and not uh, Cervantes being super subversive about <laughs> right. things. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, like we could do an entire episode, and maybe we will about this being an anti-inquisition novel. Yeah, no, we we definitely could. Um, but that said, yeah, uh, it it gets more and more complicated, and and uh, just structurally, and even when you you know describe that as a sitcom. Actually, I I uh, talked to our friend Josiah, who has been on this show before, but mm-hmm. um. He mentioned that that was your like pithy one line about about mm-hmm. Don Quixote was it's the greatest sitcom you'd ever read or whatever, um, mm-hmm. and that did start me thinking about it. And I was like, yes, but it also is sort of like if you have like an old fashioned sitcom that's in like three or four acts, quote unquote, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So you have like maybe the stinger at the beginning, and then like maybe three main like segments that TV writers sometimes referred to as the acts right. um it was cardenio by the way um okay it was cardenio i yep. was wondering about that um yeah we also are going to have to spend an entire episode analyzing shakespeare's lost play based on don quixote <laughs> um which does and this is actually part of what i'm talking about too but it does fit the mold of a shakespeare comedy very beautifully mm-hmm. um like for the gentle listener who doesn't know uh scholars at this point are pretty certain that Shakespeare wrote a play called Cardinio. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been, as far as we know, it's been completely lost to history. Like it was in lists of Shakespeare's plays printed during or shortly after his lifetime. Um, but for whatever reason, it never ended up in the Quartos um, or the, the, which was the big one, the folio. Folio. Yeah. It never ended up in any of the folios for whatever reason. Um, and so far as we can tell, it's just been lost to history, but we know it was called Cardinio and either by, I don't know if we know this for sure, if it's just an easy extrapolation, but we think it's based on the Cardinio episode, which is what scholars call it, mm-hmm. the Cardinio episode in Don Quixote, mm-hmm. which also like if you, if you read, you know, even Victorian novels or, um, other, you know, slightly older English vocabulary novels, where they're talking about someone reading Don Quixote, they will talk about it in episodes, mm-hmm. right? Like they'll they'll talk about it in like, um, oh, the episode of the windmills or right. the episode of the the one in. Even though it wasn't it wasn't published serially, right? It was all no. published. No, it was published together, yeah, as a novel, yeah, um, or as a as a complete work, right? Yeah, yeah, which is also interesting because mm-hmm. like some of you know Charles Dickens' books that were published serially read much more like novels yeah like it's I've, interesting how yeah that works out like i've read a couple you know editions of dickens even pretty recently where like the editors had gone through and just put little asterisks to indicate like what uh uh what did you call it but like a series yeah serial what a what a section would have yeah. been so it's like three chapters go by and then you have a little asterisk and that's what would have been sold for one month and then the next two chapters would Mm -hmm. have been the next month and some of those sections are like real boring like they (laughs) don't move the plot along at all and then you think about it and how like some families would take those books and this doesn't need to turn into a dickens podcast either (laughs) but like they would sit as a family and like the the father or whoever would sit and just read this new dickens set of 
chapters. Yeah, yeah and three chapters. Where... Everyone would sit and listen, and you, you're reading a really boring section. Yeah, like where nothing happened. Like, you can tell that Dickens was just buying himself a week to figure out yep. what the plot actually was. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's, which is, like I said, it's it's just fascinating. And I guess you could argue you have an analog to that on modern serial shows where it's like, like with the flash sure. or something you see episodes that basically are filler like you could take them out of the run of episodes and the season's overall plot would right you know and people complain bitterly about those so maybe that yeah so maybe that happened dickens yeah, too it was a good series but it had some sloggy episodes yeah, in the middle. exactly but anyway what i was starting out to say yep four digressions ago we never that, digress on this show yeah we it's true we don't um and if we did we would edit it out Definitely. <laughs> yeah, don't give me work to do. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so as so you get up to the, the episode of the windmills, and roughly right after that, there starts to be a shift, and I sometimes imagine it was just Cervantes getting bored, but there's a shift where the the plots start start chopping up in a weird way. So it would be like, like I, I was mentioning earlier, sort of the five-act... Um, mm-hmm. sitcom structure it would almost be like if you took the the initial like one minute stinger segment and then like the first two segments of a sitcom mm-hmm. of, a, of an episode and then you put a full episode that was like complete in itself after that and then had like the third segment of the first episode and the stinger to that after that full episode that was in the middle mm-hmm. um like even cardinio it's like like i kind of marked what i when i was reading through it i i kind of like tried to think like Shakespeare in, uh-huh. you know, perhaps the most arrogant thing I've said yet this episode. <laughs> um, but just thinking about, like, if this was a Shakespeare play, okay, here's where Act 1 would, would break, you know, when Cardinio and his friend, like, make their, their thing, and then Act 2 would be Cardinio, you know, here, and maybe it would intercut with his friend over here, and, mm-hmm. um, you know. And then it was, like, I think I got up through Act 3, and then it just digressed into the whole like lucinda you know the the pastoral Mm -hmm. stuff i want to say or digressed into something else anyway um and then came back and did acts four four and five of cardinio like a hundred pages later a hundred pages of unrelated stuff later so what we're saying is it's not seinfeld or how i met your mother it's buffy the vampire slayer (laughs) (laughs) i've never actually watched buffy so that's a reference that's gonna sail past me Sure, sure um I, th- I, I almost want to say How I Met Your Mother does it a little bit. Sure, they yeah. Will, they yeah, will have, they do. You know, they'll, they'll put something in episode one, do a five-episode run that's completely different, and then in episode six you'll get the answer to something from episode one. Right, right. Stuff like you, that. You get it, you know, kind of branching and yeah. folding in on itself, and yeah. Yeah. With, um, it it kind of just, like, speaking in meta terms, which we're going to do a lot, and we have already a lot, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, like that, it, it's almost itself just a commentary on narrative structure. And you think about this too, you're, ta- you're referencing Shakespeare a lot, but Cervantes himself was a failed playwright. Yeah, yeah. And so like he knew the five act structure sort of thing and yeah. was familiar with that. And he, if, if, if he messed with that structure in there, I have to believe it was deliberate. Oh, I am 100% certain it was deliberate. So he's, he's again, making fun of that sort of thing. And I wonder, yeah. as, as we're thinking about this now, this thought occurred to me, I wonder if he's making fun of the people who didn't like his plays. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's quite possible. Um, something I'll, I'll get into more in a, in a 
episode to come as we're racing right up to our our time here um <laughs> we're good at that yeah yeah we are uh but something i'll get into more a little bit later that that pavel says is that don uh, don quixote is almost a virtuoso performance mm. um like it's cervantes trying to especially part one is almost cervantes just trying to be like all right I've read everything. I've done some forays into writing, but like I think I've got my grasp on this, and I'm just gonna like show them. Similar to what mm. you can almost see Shakespeare doing in some of his, especially his earlier plays, and Shakespeare, you know, tries to like top himself and sure, top himself. Yeah. But even even when you're in plays like Comedy of Errors, even like mm-hmm. is um, a a plotus play that every schoolboy read in that era and Shakespeare like doubled the plot to make it like more complicated mm-hmm. right or um even like Richard III has all these like long yeah. ranting speeches but they're basically him trying to be Marlowe but better yeah um you know and and uh Cervantes is almost doing a similar thing at least according to to the scholar uh, Pavel who where Cervantes is taking every genre and trying to sort of do it better do every genre all at once better than everyone else does yeah exactly and i and i have to think that another chime (laughs) (laughs) um i have to think that that you know uh uh cervantes the author that we've been talking about for an hour now (laughs) did you forget his name i did yes thank you (laughs) um I, I have to think that, like, what you're picking up on with Cervantes messing with this plot structure and it being intentional, and even with what you're picking up on about folding um, mm-hmm. folding dramatic structure and play structure into it, I, I do. I think all of that is intentional. Yeah. And Well, if you think it's not intentional, then the book is just sloppy. It's just sloppy. And, you know, there are some things in the book that do make me feel like, especially part two was kind of hastily written and also that mm-hmm. a lot of it was just Cervantes doing whatever he wanted. Yeah. But it's... you get this picture of Cervantes almost with the uh like Albert Einstein hair just yeah. like being like I'm going to make up some new whimsy today. So <laughs> right. he's he he looks like Albert Einstein but has the personality of Pete Bladel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um for all of our listeners. going to who... say you're welcome 12 people. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, he's he's got some national acclaim. That's true. He he has one of the what is it like best selling short plays yep. for like students to do in yep. the country, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we love you, Pete, and you're probably not listening, but that's yeah. okay. We love. He you knows anyway. we do this, but I don't think he listens. I mean, <laughs> would you? If you probably were Pete? not. <laughs> if I were Pete, I'd say I'm just gonna keep my perfect picture of who these people are. <laughs> And not have to hear them not let bleeping, it... yeah, yeah, uh... which is really what we all want from Pete, because Pete is a very angelic sort of right Catholic, well, Catholic like, saint wait, of a just... Lutheran man. Wow, that almost deserves a chime by itself. <laughs> right. uh, but no, like think of it in reverse. You know, the the picture we have of Pete. I don't, I don't want to go beyond that. <laughs> Except I'm pretty sure if we did, it would just be more of the same. It would just be more of the same. It would be like <laughs> going beyond the surface level of Saint Francis of Assisi. <laughs> yeah, like it would really. just still be Saint Francis. Yep. Yeah. Um, preaching to birds. I could yeah. see Pete Bladel preaching to birds actually. 
he probably has. Yeah, he probably has. Yeah, or at least, like, admonished them in sort of a holy manner. Yeah. Just, like, seeing them messing around doing something that they knew they shouldn't, being like, guys. Kind of kind of doing on. the whole, like, hey, hey, you birds, look at the lilies of the field. And then going to the lilies and say, hey, you lilies, look at the birds of the air. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um... Now that now that we've done that five minutes of Pete Bladel digression, your your Pete Bladel special. <laughs> um, <laughs> what were we even saying? Uh, we were talking about the play structure being yeah. deliberately folded in and yeah, yeah. him being I mean, manic and but also oh yeah, being being sort of a because yeah, part it's like it's like seeing a genius right at like breakneck speed and probably yeah, not no, edit you, very much. You do kind of get that impression with this book, both parts that yeah. he kind of just sat down and just wrote, didn't edit anything but yeah. just took that stack of sheets to the publisher and said, print that! This I guarantee work. it'll work. And then it did. <laughs> exactly. Which is like, you know, the difference between him and 10 million actual self-deluded narcissists who <laughs> tried the same thing over the years with Cervantes we're still talking about him. Are we? I mean, we're still meaning to be talking about him. <laughs> right. Um, and I don't know, this This is maybe my, like, concluding thought from this episode and coming out of what we were just saying. Like, a lot of people, including, like, literary critics with way more credentials than I have, I've seen sort of dismissively call Don Quixote an anti-novel novel. That it was an attempt to sort of deconstruct all of the artificial devices that made up okay. the novel and like give you actual reality and it's not no it's not at all it's as artificial of a novel as any of the arthurian you know romances that it's making fun of it's just artificial in a different way and you know yeah. so the, the thing is that's not to like deride cervantes no because that's Cervantes was not trying to not be telling a story. Like every every successful novelist, including classic writers of classic novels, except perhaps for James Joyce, part of what they've been doing has been telling a story to inter mm -hmm. entertain someone. Yeah. No one knows what James Joyce was doing, but all of the <laughs> other ones, like that's part of what they're doing. If you lose that to a lot of novelists, even someone like Faulkner, who you know, intentionally wrote very sort of obscure, difficult-to-follow novels, he understood the pleasure of having a story told to you, and furthermore, he understood the artificiality mm -hmm. that that entails, and still thought that there was beauty and truth that could be discovered there. So, you know, calling Cervantes an anti-novel novelist, you could, if you define the word novel in sort of a very specific, like, esoteric academic way sure that could be an accurate phrase but it always just strikes me as as sort of both pretentious and also sort of missing the point um it's it's one of those things that you can say to just have said something about a novel mm -hmm. and just sort of miss what what's you know actually going on right like I can see that to a point. I I I can almost agree with that anti-novel novel approach to a point. Sure. But like you say, if you hold to that, then you do miss that Don Quixote is a real character. Which yeah, real character is kind of a paradox here. But that's really the paradox that 
uh, Cervantes is real is getting at. Like yes. it's he he he's a he's a device to make fun of different things, but he's also a character. Right. Who because Cervantes is a novelist lives in Cervantes' mind. Right. Uh, and and so he and and, and you can't just accept Don Quixote the character as a device as something that's used to be the anti-novel character right because if he were that he wouldn't be consistent as a character right which by which i mean to say inconsistent in human ways but y- y- you know like he wouldn't he wouldn't be alive yeah. in the novel you wouldn't be able yeah. to, to trace his movements he would be more faulknerish in the sense right. of what just happened, I don't understand <laughs> where that came from. <laughs> right. Uh, but he is a character, and that's that's maybe the genius of of Cervantes that he's able to live in that nexus between making fun of everything that came before and everything that readers want and look for, but also providing a truly entertaining comedic story. Right. Yes. Absolutely. I'm trying to find. I told myself I was gonna. Since we had four episodes, yeah. I told myself I was going to wait at least one episode to uh, bring in Kundera here. Well, I already brought in Nabokov for the entirety of this episode. Well, yeah, episode, but I've so. been doing Pavel, so I figured I'd wait <laughs> on my second guy. But the thing that you just said, um, somewhere, Kundera, definitely... Okay, here we go. Are you saying I'm not unique? That I, I didn't come up with this idea myself? No, I'm not actually. Like oh, okay. this is just a different way of saying the same idea that you didn't come up with yourself. Oh, okay. Um So, this is from uh Kundera's brilliant book, The Art of the Novel, um from the first Can chapter. I that? Yeah. Thanks. Not right now oh, though. Sorry. I'm reading out of it. Uh you can hold it while I read out. Oh, of it thank you. you. This, okay. This is this is, yeah, this is precious. To this take is very sweet. Yeah, we're... I want all the listeners to picture what's happening right now. Imagine us in bathrobes with we masks, are in bathrobes cucumber masks and... with cucumber masks through which we can see. So we poked little pinholes in our <laughs> in cucumbers, cucumbers. <laughs> but our faces are still covered with the cream. Yep. We are standing in front of the microphone, both holding the book together. Mm-hmm. Um, we would take a picture of this, but I'm not going to allow that to happen. Anyway. So, uh, Kundera <laughs> says, To take with Cervantes the world as ambiguity, to oblige to face not a single absolute truth, but a welter of contradictory truths, Truths embodies in imaginary se- truths embodied in imaginary selves called characters to have as one's only certainty the wisdom of uncertainty requires no less courage. Um, and the thing I, I was specifically getting or remembering from that passage is that phrase that Kunera does use several other places, and I could perhaps have found some better ones if we bothered to ever prep for this podcast at all but that idea of characters that like work yeah exactly and you've already said to not give you work so yeah, i know um but characters as imaginary selves mm-hmm. um characters as sort of helping you explore a question by getting out of your actual self and mm-hmm. into a different self mm-hmm. i think maybe you know, it's it's always that question, why is Don Quixote considered foundational? It's such a mess. It's such a, a welter of other genres. Um, why is it so foundational? And I think part of it is that Cervantes is one of the first writers to get at that idea of a character as a full and complete imaginary self. A lot of sure. the, the genres up to this point, um, really characters are just sort of props like masks or uh, mm-hmm. um, um, 
you know puppets almost to to sort of move around and create an entertaining story in the way mm-hmm. that you'd create mm-hmm. a joke or something um but cervantes is doing a thing that at this time in the history of the world maybe only shakespeare is the only other person doing it and i don't know that they borrowed from each other that much i think this may be like i a don't parallel. know how much spanish shakespeare right spoke or how much english cervantes spoke and i don't know how much translating was going on yeah um but i think they're on parallel tracks at this point rather than totally disparate ones yeah but it's this this first idea of a character being a complete self sure which is getting to the the harold bloom analysis of shakespeare yeah um but um yeah the the invention of the human right uh which is interesting, and this this might spark a whole other digression that doesn't fit this podcast at all. But I'll just well, don't worry, we're all already like this digression is ten minutes over time. So yeah, <laughs> um, but um, another book that I'm thinking of bringing at some point, uh, and it's one that I've mentioned without giving the name of it before, and you've been excited about it in the past. Um, but like talking about drama and theater. And you think about it, you can go through the history of, of theater all the way back to the Greeks. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's a religious ceremony. Yeah. Where the, the masks of the actors are encapsulating the gods. Right. And then you take that into the modern era and those masks are encapsulating ideas. Right. Or what have you. And then now it, it progresses even further to Cervantes and Shakespeare and those masks are depicting the author right which is almost a postmodern idea right um and you you have to be careful about how too too cute you get with that oh yeah um, yeah because no, I don't you know be cute about it yeah well i never cute i mean you're adorable but that's different <laughs> um the uh you know the the idea that like because of this you can read biography back into an author yeah no you don't want to do real that. it gets real boring and also real reductive real fast yeah very much um, so like you have even in like shakespeare in love where like mm. things that the character shakespeare is Which, going yeah through, the way to describe that is it's cute <laughs> yeah exactly exactly it's not bad but it's way too cute mm-hmm. um you know yep. and they go straight in, and it's, it's sort of a classic uh, cheap B movie effect almost, uh, where you have a writer, especially if it's like a classic writer, and then oh he has he loses a lover, and then it shows up in his play, or and it's just that's just very right. bad. Like, but the 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 way to do it right with Don Quixote, I think, is to see perhaps that in Don Quixote who gets absorbed by story. Yeah. And that becomes his life. Well, what is Cervantes doing but writing a story? Right. And that's his whole life is trying to create stories. And so maybe seeing what is the ultimate outcome. If if I allowed myself to be completely absorbed by story, what would happen? And this book is the result. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea and i i think it's i think it has i I don't think it's 100 percent the answer but it deserves another ding yeah it absolutely (laughs) does absolutely is that five dings we got (laughs) at least man we have a lot of dings um (laughs) better call our insurance agency (laughs) um yeah yeah good no and that's that's as good of a final thought for being Eleven thousand minutes over time, as, uh, <laughs> as like I hyperbole. think we could possibly hope for. Um, Maybe I'll make hyperbole a rule. <laughs> no hyperbole. I was thinking about making Abacab a rule. <laughs>
which, I mean, we probably have to get through this run of episodes for sure right. for that to be at all fair. <laughs> um, uh, though, I mean, vampires are already a rule, so yeah, I don't that's know. True. Um, can't do that. Can't do what? What? Nothing. <laughs> um, anyway, gentle listener, thank you for joining us for part one of discussing part one of... Uh, <laughs> I was about to say the life and opinions of Don Quixote. <laughs> that's fair. Which I, that's what I was going to say would not be wrong. It just wouldn't be right. Um, but, but as we've established, two wrongs make a neutral. Yeah. So we're back. We're back to square one. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Uh, please join us next time for part two of part one of the life and opinions of Don Quixote. Please uh, feel free to read along. Give us your feedback. Uh, go to the contact section of tapestryradio.org, put Scotch Talk in the subject line. We are at Room with Scotch on Twitter. Um, we don't post like people who want to promote their podcast, but we promise we will see it if you tweet at us. <laughs> we, we don't care about this podcast. We just do it. <laughs> There's another slogan. <laughs> um, join the Tapestry Radio Tap House on Facebook. Uh, if you would like, if you have any homework you want us to do, um, we won't do it well, but we will do it on the podcast. Um, mm -hmm. And if you, if you know, if uh, you plagiarize from us, we, this podcast is right there on the internet for free and in public, so your teacher will figure it out. Right. But if you want to hear, if you think it would be entertaining to hear us do your homework badly, go to <laughs> tapestryradio.org/scotchcast. Fill out the form, tell us what your assignment is, um, and it might show up later on in an English homework it's, special. It's occurring to me that the target audience of this podcast is a very niche. Oh wait, set really? Of really? <laughs> Are you sure? That's shocking to it me. It takes a very specific sort of person to. That's shock. I have to go like reevaluate my entire life yeah, right I now. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, if you yeah. like this podcast, check. I'm trying to bring us in anywhere near on time. Okay. You're not helping me. Um, <laughs> That's my job. I was going to say, not that I expected otherwise. <laughs> if you like this podcast, check out our other shows on the Tapestry Radio Network, uh, such as Intermission, our audio drama podcast, Pokemon Rollout. Um, our you can do it. Pokemon United RPG Real Play podcast. Close enough. Um, <laughs> rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, wherever you... Um, get your get your podcasts uh, wherever podcasts are sold. Yes, that means um, pay us money. Yeah, please. Uh, <laughs> worst Patreon pitch of all time. Um, or is it the best? I, please, sir, may I have some money? I have to go rewrite our Patreon page. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, check out my webcomic, Pinporter Girl Detective. Type yeah. that in. Otherwise, yeah. type that into Google. Otherwise, it's pinporterdetective.com. <laughs> <laughs> or org. Probably just type in Pinporter Girl Detective to Google, and that's going to be your best bet. Probably. Um, did I miss anything? No, I think that's pretty much everything. I mean, All right. we do have a Patreon, right? Yeah, but we're going to probably do that separately other than, well you just did the best pitch of all time yeah so, that's like true. that's all we really need on this so yeah right now if, if you like it you certain special people who listen to this podcast yeah we do really michael does make a good point we do really need you to support us if you do like this show because there are only like five of you <laughs> um 
So, but also with... don't if it would be a financial burden. We are really bad at like making people like pre- like we would be both be right. really we, bad. We just people. gave them an out. Yeah, I just <laughs> like threw the door open and just yeah. And then you slammed it on your own foot <laughs> and yours. <laughs> Thank and you. Yours. You're that welcome. hurt a lot. You're welcome. So, gentle listener, until next time, just remember it's our party and we'll cry if we want to. <laughs> special announcement here at the top of the episode we would Very like special. your money yes please 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 please, money, sir, please. May i have some money but don't worry we don't just want your money we want to give you wait shit, i said at the top of the episode it's the bottom the top and the bottom ethan's on his head i also just said shit, so i don't know if we can use this <laughs> all right well so we'll start nice. over <laughs> keeping that for blackmail purposes. Hello, gentle listener. We just wanted to take a break here at the bottom of the episode from ending the episode and just talk a little bit more about our Patreon. Uh, The main point of our Patreon page is, of course, to give us money, but... As with Please, all things money. in this extremely broken capitalist system, you can't just ask people for money, so we're giving you some some uh, things back. Mm-hmm. You're not buying them. They're rewards for the They're... money that you give us. Yeah, which is definitely not what buying is. Nope. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, uh, if you go over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash roomwithscotch, there's also a, a link mm-hmm. on our website. 
you can yep. see all the tiers. We just wanted to highlight a couple things. Um, mm-hmm. If you just give us one dollar per month, just a dollar. One dollar. You get one dollar going once, going twice. Sold for one dollar. Except not sold. You're donating it, and we're giving you a reward. And also, it's not the only thing. So really, this metaphor is falling apart around as quickly. Oh crap! Uh, all right, one dollar. You get for a dollar. You get access to the secret archives, um, yes. which contains tons of bonus audio from Michael and Ethan. Um, I have at least three different sort of bonus things up there currently to our right. analyses of of various uh, shorter pieces. Um, there's a file of me reading the short story that I analyzed in a different file. Um, mm-hmm. And the plan is to expand. By the time this goes up, there will be more of me on there as well. Excellent yes. specificity there. And there's, there's also content from uh, some of the other Tapestry shows as well that you can get access to just by donating only to this show. So yeah. isn't that great? Yeah. So access to the secret archives at just a dollar. For three dollars per month, you get to pick an issue of Tapestry Wonder Tales and Trivialities, which is a magazine that we produced three issues of several several years ago that's filled with stories, yep. poems, um, visual stuff, uh, just sort funny of little things, wondrous things, um, and trivialities. And they're, they, you know, we, we've never been timely, so therefore, Tapestry nope. Magazine is timely. So anytime that you donate exactly. and get your copy, you should, you know, be able to revel in the stories referencing, you know, literary works from hundreds of years ago and other extremely yep. timely, relevant things. Absolutely. Um, it's exactly what every coffee table needs. Yes. Uh, at $20 or more per month, um, now, I've mm-hmm. skipped a few tiers, so you'll have to just go to the Patreon to... Uh, um, look at all the things you can yeah, get. Yeah, look at all of them. Uh, at $20 or more per month, you get a personal mini-sode just for mm-hmm. you. If you donate 20 to, if you pledge at the $20 or more per month level, we will work with you um, to pick a book, short story, poem, or other input. Maybe you want us to watch a movie or read a, read a yeah. graphic novel or something. Um, sure. We will do that. It will be dedicated for, to you. Um, mm-hmm. We'll do our best to personalize it for you. Um, and you yourself will become a part of Tapestry lore. Yeah. Um, Imagine that. You will be immortalized. Now, we do have one tier. Like I said, we have several tiers between 3 and $20. Go to the yep. Patreon and look at that. Michael, do you want to talk about our last tier, our highest tier? Yes. Our for transcendent our tier, as it were. Transcendent tier. Yeah, that's that's what we'll call it. The transcendent tier. If you yes. love this show so much that you would like to donate $1,000 or more per month, if you'd like to uh, pledge that amount, $1,000 or more, that gets you to the transcendent tier, uh, you get to be basically a, a lit professor for us. You assign us a book to read... And an essay to write about it. Ethan and I will each write an essay, uh, providing a self-published hard copy as well as a digital copy of that essay in the secret section. Uh, So you get to basically turn us into your literary slaves and make us read a book, write an essay, and give it to you in hard copy and publish it on the secret section and whatever whatever it can be. Let your imagination go wild if you decide to do this. Um... Yeah, we will write whatever you want. 
Um, and some people might say it's a, it's a little bit arrogant to uh, have a thousand dollars here, but you know, what's the worst <laughs> that can happen? We don't get a thousand dollars or more per month. We already don't have a thousand dollars or more per month, so like, whatever. We're not man. losing anything. <laughs> yeah, don't add us. Don't yeah. add us. Back off. All right. Back off, except to give us money. Yeah, thank you. Please. Thank you. So thank yeah, you once guys. again, that's at uh, patreon.com slash roomwithscotch. Check it out and donate whatever you feel comfortable donating. Whatever is in your heart and also <laughs> whatever things you want to get out of it. Yep. But you're not buying uh, it. Thank you're you. donating and we're giving you a reward. It's very different. Thank you. We love you. Thank you. We love you. Bye. Thank you. We love you very much. Bye-bye. Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From From our our fancy fancy to to yours. yours.